Noah began to be a man of the soil. And he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers uh, to one side. Then Jem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see the father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew <clears throat> what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Jephthah, and let him dwell in the tent of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Today we are beginning our journey through the Old Testament. Last week we had a little bit of an introduction, and now we are going to be getting into the texts. And so uh, we're looking at different stories, and you'll find as I go through some of these stories, some of them will be very familiar, some will be a little unusual. And I like to look at some unusual types of texts uh, because I think that the Lord speaks a specific message through those. And today we're going to be looking at this very unusual text in Genesis uh, where Noah departs the ark and he starts uh, his life after the uh, flood. And so the question I would ask you this morning is, what's the first thing you would do upon exiting a floating zoo after a year and 10 days? Maybe you'd like to take a nice walk uh, to stretch out your legs and get away from all the howling and screeching that you've heard over the last year. Or perhaps you'd hunt down a nice hot springs and get cleaned up, have a tub there. Or maybe you'd have a nice juicy steak because now God has put meat on the menu for all of mankind. Old Noah here had a couple of things in mind that he wanted to do once the flood was over and God told him that he could come out again. The first thing was very good, but the second was not so good. The first thing that he did we see back in Genesis 8.20, it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And it was actually in response to this sacrifice that God placed the rainbow in the skies, promising that he would never again wipe out the earth with a flood. The second thing that Noah did was to plant a vineyard with the intention of having some good wine with his steak, which was totally appropriate. <laughs> If anyone needed a nice glass of Merlot, it was Noah here, right? The only problem was that when he started drinking, he had more than he could handle. In other words, he became drunk. Now, as is the case when people get drunk, Noah lost some of his ability to make a good judgment. He ended up passed out and naked in his tent. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at three lessons that we can learn from this unusual story. The first lesson that we see in our text today is that even righteous people sin. 
Isn't it interesting that uh, Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, chose this incident to expose Noah, to talk about the thing that happened here? Martin Luther, in his commentary on Genesis, draws our attention to the fact that Noah is the supreme leader of the world at this point. He's basically starting everything over. He was the leader of his family as well as this new budding community. And I'm sure there were many feats that could have been highlighted by Moses in this account here. How righteous he was. But God, in his wisdom, decided to put one of Noah's flaws in this text here. Noah's righteousness is irrefutable. At his birth, a prophecy was given that he would bring relief to the curse that was upon the ground. There's a verse also in Genesis 6-8 where it says that Noah found favor with the Lord. In the next verse, it says that he was righteous in his generation and that he was one of the ones that walked with God. When Noah disembarked from the ark, God was right there waiting to bless him. In Ezekiel 14, 14, he compares Noah with Daniel and Job, other righteous men. In the New Testament, Noah is commended for his great faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And so you get the impression that God really likes Noah. But the Bible also makes it clear that drunkenness is not God's will for us. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink a brawler, and whoever's led astray by it is not wise. And so, in this moment, Noah did not show wisdom. His judgment was impaired. He had been led astray by it. In the scriptures, there is no one that is set forth as perfect. Adam and Eve lived a sinless perfection, but then they succumbed to temptation, and because of that, we have all suffered now uh, sin and death since that time. Abraham continually lied about Sarah being his wife in order to save himself from jealous men. King David was an adulterer and a murderer. Peter denied the Lord three times. The apostle Paul called himself the chief of sinners because he had persecuted the church before Jesus revealed himself to him. As Romans 3.23 states, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As righteous as Noah was, he was by no means perfect. His nakedness here was shamefully exposed. And we can draw comfort from that fact. Many times, we may have sin that keeps on surfacing. We may have things that we continue to struggle with. And we ask ourselves, why can't we overcome this thing? Why can't we be bold in the Lord? Why does our anger flare up at times? And we feel shame, and we are exposed in that moment. In the example of Noah here, we take heart, not as an excuse for sin, but as an indication that everybody does sin. The Bible is silent as to whether Noah learned his lesson here and went on and stuck to two glasses of wine a day or something like that, and so we'll never know until we uh, see him in glory. But seeing the way that he walked in righteousness, I think that he probably did learn his lesson. And this is what righteousness is all about. Not perfection, but rather being open to rebuke and changing when we see that we have stumbled. The grace of God's forgiveness meets us every time 
that we confess our failings to, to him. When David confessed, he was forgiven. Jesus restored Peter after he confessed and wept bitterly. And that brings us to our next lesson. The proud delight in exposing sin. It's bad enough here that Noah's drunk and naked in his tent, but things get worse when his youngest son, Ham, comes strolling by and sees his father's shameful behavior. Now, we uh, must remember here that Ham is a grown man, probably about 100 years old. He's not a teenager who sees his father and goes giggling off to his brothers. This is a calculated move that he makes here. And we can only speculate as to what was going on in Ham's mind when he decided to broadcast to his brothers the state that his father was in. Some wonder if he was just waiting for a chance to label his dad a hypocrite. And this is not unusual in family situations. Many times the children are looking for a way to discredit their parents so that they have an excuse not to respect them or obey them. They might say, well, dad, if he wasn't such a big hypocrite, well, then maybe I would stop doing the bad things I'm doing. Or if mom was not so annoying, maybe I'd go to church with her. The fourth commandment calls us to honor our parents regardless of their shortcomings. Another possibility here that we see regarding Ham's state of mind is that he was tired of following his father's leadership as the head of the house and now as the president of the world. Maybe he wanted his shot at leadership and drew attention to his dad's shameful state to build a case for a coup. In going to his brothers, perhaps he hoped to rally them to his side in light of the current situation. Whatever the cause of Ham's actions, we know that his heart was not right toward his father. The fact that he jumps on this opportunity to defame Noah reveals that. Jesus warns us about this propensity in Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. He said, Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so the question is, do you enjoy discovering the sin of particular individuals? When they stumble, are you the first one to say, ha, I knew it. They're not so high and holy as everybody thought after all, right? When I was 21 years old, I went to a treatment program to try to deal with some of the things that I was facing in my life. And the strange thing was that whenever somebody got kicked out of the program, it made everyone else feel just a little bit better about themselves. <laughs> ah, one more off the island, right? Maybe that's why we like reality shows so much in America, seeing people voted off the show, right? And so we consider ourselves to be better than others or perhaps immune to that. And that's the way I felt at that program until I got kicked out, right? And so we see here Noah's reaction about what happened. When I first read it, I was a little confused because he brings down curses on his son. I'm like, isn't that a little bit harsh? I mean, he just, you know, saw him naked and told his brothers. But as I considered the possibility that Ham despised his father in his heart, this would only make sense. I also want to call your attention to the fact that Noah doesn't curse Ham directly, 
but rather he curses his youngest son, Canaan, by making him a slave to his relatives. So instead of rising to any kind of leadership or passing that on down to his own children, which may have been his hope, he's instead destined for servitude. This shows us that our reputation as one who exposes everyone's sin affects our family name. People begin to not want to hang around us because we're gossips. They're afraid to tell us things because it might come back around again. And so it's interesting as we look forward in time here, we see that this servitude is still happening a thousand years later. In Judges 1.28 it says, When Israel became strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor. And so that servitude was still taking place. That curse was still in effect for them. If you had anyone ever try to ruin your reputation by spreading slander, you might know how Noah felt. You may have wished you could call curses down upon their head. But that brings us to our third and final point this morning. The humble cover over sin. When Ham's brothers find out what kind of state their father is in, their reaction is the exact opposite of their brothers. They decide, instead of proclaiming Noah's shame to the rest of the population, namely their wives, and worse yet, Noah's wife, <laughs> they decide to cover him up with a garment. In fact, they even walk in backwards to lay this garment over him. And I think there are some great principles for us to consider here. First of all, listen to Paul's instruction to the church in Galatia. He said, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. Jesus also instructed the church in this matter in Matthew 18, 15. He said, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Notice in that situation, you're covering over a sin, not exposing it, trying to deal with it one-on-one. -on -one. And so we are privately to go to our brothers and sisters, and even our fathers and mothers, to speak to them privately about their failings if they have offended us. The quote that always runs through my mind regarding this is, praise in public, rebuke in private. Praise in public, rebuke in private. So many times the opposite happens. We praise in private and don't let anybody else know that we're proud of somebody, but we broadcast their sins to the public. My wife, Mary's sister, who lives uh, in New York City, uh, she was at a fancy political dinner one night, and she just happened to be seated next to Henry Kissinger. In the course of the conversation, Mr. Kissinger asked her how she had become so successful in the fabric design industry. And Mary's sister responded, I always try to make my boss look as good as possible. This is very biblical thinking. Ham did not have this in mind, but Shem and Japheth did. Because of their act of covering over Noah's shame, upon this, Noah blessed them. In fact, he really blessed their God, whom they were obviously mindful of in their actions toward their father. Look at verse 26 here. Blessed be the God of Shem. And in the next verse he says, May God enlarge Jepheth. God used Shem and Jepheth 
to show Noah mercy by covering his shame. And Noah wanted to bless them with wide open spaces. And this is what Jesus does for us. He covers our shame with his blood. And as his body, we are to do the same thing. Now, this is not to say that we don't need to confront somebody that is unapologetically sinning or harming others or needs church discipline. That's where the process comes into place that the Bible lays out to discipline in a church. But in general, we need to follow 1 John 5, 16 through 17, where it says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. In other words, unless this person is continually resisting the Holy Spirit, that's the sin that leads to death, if they're doing anything else, we are to try to help restore them, to pray for them, and to encourage them. And so in conclusion here this morning, are you more of a ham or a shem? I was studying this, I forgot to look it up, but I almost wonder if that's where that saying comes from. You're such a ham, right? Are you more of a ham or a Jepheth? Do you enjoy seeing people fall so that you can feel more superior and self-righteous? Or do you truly have concern for covering over people's sin and shame? All of us at times find ourselves gossiping and spreading slander. But don't get too indignant if someone hears about it, the one you're slandering, and then they start to give you the cold shoulder. Because nobody likes to be exposed like that. They would rather have you come to them and talk about it first. And then if they still resist, then you can go with somebody else and, you know, so on and so on. I think the main core lesson is this: in this is the golden rule. Do as you'd be done by, Right? If, wouldn't you want somebody to come to you first and talk about something that you'd done, how you defended them, instead of blabbing to the whole church and now suddenly your whole reputation is ruined? And so as a church, let's find ways to cover one another's shame so that they may turn and bless us for not exposing them to the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your word. And Lord, I know that I have sinned in this way. I have exposed people's shame. I have uh, belittled them behind their backs. And Father, I pray for your forgiveness. And I pray for us as a church, Lord, that we would be known as ones who deal with confrontation well, who go to the source first, and who deal with people gently, covering over shame, not exposing it to the world. And so, Lord, help us and give us wisdom in this matter. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.